Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcasts at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at eric, E-R-I-K, dot Anderson at nllutheran.com. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from Matthew, the first chapter. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Bijah. And Abijah, the father of Asa. And Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jochenim and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jochenim was the father of Salathiel. And Salathiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abidu. And Abidu, the father of Elikim. And Elikim, the father of Azor. And Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Akim. And Akim, the father of Eliud. And Eliud, the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar, the father of Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, I'm Pastor Ben, and it is my, my honor this morning to share God's word with you. And today is a special day because we're launching into a new sermon series tailored for Advent and Christmas called Christmas Expectations. And I already know this about you. I know that you have a couple really significant questions that are already weighing on your heart and mind. I mean, they're just really, really bothering you. And the first question that you have is, as Ben was reading that genealogy, does he actually know how to pronounce all of those names that he just read, right? You're all wondering, right? You might as well just ask it. So here's the answer. After many years of intense study, after many advanced degrees in theology and ministry, I can say without any doubt, 100% that I have no clue how to say half of those names that I just read to you guys. In fact, I actually intentionally misread one just to see if you guys were paying attention, and no one seemed to notice. Obviously, when we read into the Old Testament, we run into some very complex names, but we really see some beauty in there. But I'm going to get to your second question, which you're all wondering, which is, is he actually going to preach out of 
that genealogy of Christ. I mean, this is the section of scripture that you probably just skip over, right? To get to the good stuff. And the answer is absolutely. But before I do that, let's talk about your relatives. I think your relatives are a pretty interesting thing. In fact, last year I got a pretty obsessed with Ancestry.com. I don't know if you guys have ever used this. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, it's a website online where you can look up all of your ancestors, right? All those people from way in your past. You actually can also connect with people around the nation, around the world that you're related to that you didn't even know. It's quite a tool. And if you want to ramp it up, you actually can send in your DNA. And this is exactly what I did. So I spit in the little tube, I put it into the pocket, I sent it off. And I know for some of you that's, that kind of scares you a little bit, makes you a little bit nervous giving that much information to a company. I was scared too, but not for that reason. See, I was scared about what it might uncover. Because the truth is, you don't want to dig into your lineage, you don't want to send off your DNA and have them send back a letter and say, we hate to inform you that you're related to Hitler, right? You don't want that. That's not what you want during your Thanksgiving break. You also don't want to find out like maybe your great, great grandparents were slave owners, right? You just, you just don't want that type of history. In fact, if you had an option, if you could customize your genealogy, you would make it pretty special, wouldn't you? Right? You'd put some heroes in there. Some people who fought on the good side for the civil war, who freed the slaves, the people who fought to give us this nation, its freedom, right? You'd put people like that. You put people who were just a master in their craft. Maybe they're a really good athlete, professional athlete, or maybe just a titan of industry, right? That's who you'd put in your genealogy. If you could do that, that's how you'd customize your genealogy. Now, of course, you don't have an option, right? You kind of get what you get, crazy, good, or bad, whatever that might be in your, in your story. But there is one person who could have customized a genealogy. It's God the Father. God the Father could have custom-built his son's genealogy. And that's exactly what he did. But what we find in there isn't quite what we expect to see. In Christ's perfect story, we see a lot of perfectly imperfect people. Today, we're going to run into and have a conversation about this lady named Rahab, who is perfectly put right in the center of Christ's story, right in the center of Christ's genealogy. And this is her story. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So as we step into the second chapter of Joshua, we're stepping into a history lesson about the nation of Israel, specifically about Joshua. And he's just taken over leadership. Now, previous to him, there was another leader you've probably heard of. His name was Moses. So Joshua has some pretty large shoes to fill. And what Joshua does as his first act of leadership is so interesting. You see, what he does as his first act of leadership was actually done by Moses about 40 years previous. You see, when Moses was in charge, he, he took the nation of Israel to this land and he sent out 12 spies to see if the land was good and to see the, the military force of the other nation to see if they could defeat them. And Joshua was actually one of these spies. So these 12 men went out, they took a look and they said, the land is fantastic. We want this land, but there's a problem. Their military is incredibly powerful. So Joshua and Caleb, which is his friend, they come back and they say to Moses, here's the deal. The land is good. The military is powerful, 
but God can do whatever he wants. And we believe in him and, and through his power, we can defeat this army. But the other 10 spies, they said, no, the land is good, but there's no way we can win this war. And it was their unbelief. It was their distrust in God that had the nation of Israel wander around the desert for 40 years because they disobeyed. They didn't trust what God had for them. Well, fast forward into the future. Joshua now has control, right? Joshua has leadership and he's doing the exact same thing that Moses wanted to do. But this time he does it a little differently. He sends two spies in secret to go into the same land to see if the land is still good and to see how powerful that military is. Well, this is what happens. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and spent the night there. So the spies, they show up and we encounter an unlikely hero, an unexpected hero. Her name was Rahab. And as you can read with me, you know what she does, right? This is not the type of person that you want hanging out with your family for Thanksgiving or Christmas, right? She's got some issues. She's made some bad choices, but the spies go to her. Now, why would the spies go to a place like this, right? Why would they go see Rahab? Why would they go into a space that obviously is not good for God's people to be existing in? Well, the answer was they were being covert, right? They went there because it wouldn't seem odd for a foreigner to go to a place, an establishment like this. So they were kind of undercover. And so they walk in and people wouldn't think much of a foreigner coming in to utilize a service like this. And so they, they come in, they can go under the cover of night a little bit. They also are in a place where people can be bought off, paid off, right? So if people are going to talk, they can pay enough money to keep them quiet. They're also in a place where many men would come in. And so there's a lot of men and a lot of stories and a lot of things they can learn. So it's an ideal place for them to exist. In fact, later on in the story, we're going to find out that there's another reason they were there is that it was an ideal location. It was actually built into the wall of the city. So if something bad happened, they could easily escape down the wall. But the fifth thing, and this is probably the most crucial, is that we're going to see in the story that God's hand, God's grace is through every moment of this story. Well, despite how covert they were, they got caught. And this is what we read. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come only to search out the whole land. So this is what happened. They find out, right? The king finds out and so he responds and he sends some men to Rahab. He says, Rahab, I know that you probably don't know this, right? You probably aren't aware of this, but there's some men and they're spies, and they're here to search out the land. They're here to turn on your people, your nation, your king. So Rahab, what are you going to do? And this is what she did. But the woman took the two men and hid them. Rahab, despite the fear of the king, the king who can do whatever he wants, right? If you disobey the king, you die. The king sends his soldiers. And what does she do? She hides the men. She hides the spies. She hides the foreigners, but there's more. Then she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out where the men went. I do not know. Pursue them quickly for you can overtake them. So the men come, they tell her about the spies and she does what she hides them. And then she lies. 
an unexpected hero in God's story. She covers the path and says, hey, they were here, but now they're gone. You know the big gate that keeps us safe? They snuck out. The gate is shut. They're not coming back. So you're going to have to run out there to get them, right? She throws them off the scent. And then she uses their ego against them, right? Go pursue them. Get them quickly. You can do this. You guys are so talented. You're such good soldiers. Go chase after them. Go get them. Well, this is what happens next. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she laid out on the roof. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, you kind of understand this a little bit. In that day, the roofs were flat, and so people would use the top floor of that roof as an extra room. In this case, she used it as a storage room. And so part of the details is that she took the men, and when she hid them, this is where she hid them. She put them up on the roof where no other clientele would go, and she hid them underneath so that no one would find them. Well, the story continues. So the men pursued them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So the men listen, right? They buy into the lie and they follow off into the distance where they would expect Israelites to go, which is where their people were camping out. And so they go trucking after these people who they assume are walking this direction, but there's no one walking in this direction. There's no one to be found. And they seal the gates up tight so that no one could come and go, so that they were fully protected. Well, meanwhile, back at Rahab's place, we see this. Before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the dread of you has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before when you had come out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord, your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. So she begins to have a conversation with these spies and she says, here's the reality. We've heard about your God before. We've heard the stories. We've heard about the unexpected ways that he functions in life, these powerful things that he does. We've heard about when you were slaves in Egypt and you were escaping and Pharaoh pursued you and there was no way out because there's a huge sea in front of you. But God did something unexpected. He separated the waters so you had dry ground, so you could escape. Your entire nation could move through this sea to get away. We heard how the waters crashed upon the people that Pharaoh sent that his armies were destroyed. In fact, we've heard about your battles with the Amorites, two armies that you should have never have beaten, two kings that you should have never defeated. But God was on your side. He did something unexpected and you utterly destroyed them. We've heard about your God. We've heard about how he uses you. And we're scared. The way she says it is, our heart has melted, which actually, whether she knew it or not, is a fulfillment of a prophecy. You see, all the way back in the book of Exodus, Moses said these exact words about these exact people. That when Israel comes, he said their hearts will melt. They'll be terrified and fearful because of the unexpected ways that God functions, because of the power of God. And then something really amazing happens. This lady, Rahab, 
makes this proclamation of faith. Your God is the God of heaven above and earth below. He is the real deal. He is God. Amazing. Well, they continue. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So Rahab, based on her knowledge of what God can do, is nervous, right? She's scared. So let's make a deal, right? Give me a sign that I know that I will survive and not just me, but my family, my entire family. I want to know that you guys will make sure that they are protected. Well, the men respond, our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. So the guys respond, right? This is a good deal. Your life for ours, right? They weren't safe yet. They were still in her home. They were still hiding. All she had to do was whistle to get the soldiers, to get the men there, to have her countrymen turn on these spies and destroy these spies and end this story. That's all it was going to take. So they said, here, here's the deal. You keep us safe. We'll keep you safe, right? That's the deal that we have. Well, the story moves on. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the outer side of the city wall and she resided within the wall itself. So she believes them. She buys into the deal and she lets them down because she lives on the outer side of the wall so they can safely escape. But there's more details. There's more conversations and that's what we read next. She said to them, go toward the hill country so that the pursuers may not come upon you. Hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. So she gives them some instructions as they're, as they're going down. She says, look, don't go towards your people, right? Don't go towards your people. That's exactly where the soldiers would go to catch you. Go the opposite way and then wait for three days. Now, this seems like kind of an arbitrary number, but in that day, this actually was very, very significant. You see the military forces, they would search for three days. And after that, they assumed if they hadn't caught them within three days, the chances were pretty much zero and they would stop their pursuit. Somehow Rahab was privy to this. And so she tells them, go in this direction, hide. And after three days, they will stop their pursuit and you can go. Well, there's more. The men said to her, we will be released from this oath that you have made us swear to you if we invade the land and you do not tie this crimson cord in the window through which you let us down. And you do not gather into your house, your father and your mother, your brothers and all your family. If any of you go out of the doors of your house into the street, they shall be responsible for their own death and we shall be innocent. But if a hand is laid upon any who are with you in the house, we shall bear the responsibility for their death. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be released from this oath that you made us swear to you. So they present the deal, right? You won't rat on us. You don't tell us. You don't tell anyone about us and what we've done. And then you get your whole family inside. And then you're going to hang this crimson cord. And if you do that, you will live. But if you don't do this, if you are disobedient, you will die. Well, this is what she does. She said, according to your words, so be it. She sent them away and they departed. Then she tied the crimson cord 
in the window. She believes, she trusts. And then she does something that's a lot more significant than we probably realize. It has so much more richness than we truly realize. She hangs a crimson cord in her window. She hangs a cord that's the color of blood. The same blood that protected the Israelites when they're in Egypt. When the angel of death came over and they wiped the blood on their doorposts and God moved over the top, protected them and saved them. The same color that would be poured out of the animals to pass over the sins of the people through the the act of sacrifice. The same color, the same crimson color that would drip down the cross as Jesus died for your sins and mine. But there's actually more depth to this story. You see the word here that's, that's written in English is the word cord. But the actual Jewish word that this, this origin story comes from, the word is tikwat, which every other place in the Old Testament is translated not as cord, but as the word hope. You see her hope she put in the window. Her trust she put in the window. Her faith she put in the window of this crimson color. Well, as we bring her story to a close, I have a question for you. What were you expecting from this story? Now, maybe you had some insider information. Maybe you've read this section of the Bible before. Maybe you just attended a, a Bible study about Rahab before. So you kind of knew where the story was going. For all of those who, who haven't done that yet, this was kind of shocking to you probably. And if you actually back away from the story and reconnect with the story, the outcome should be shocking. Because let's think about who Rahab was. Right? She wasn't a moral woman. She wasn't an ethical woman. She wasn't a, a virtuous woman. So what would we expect to see in her story? I think it probably would look a lot bit like this. At least this is how I see it. The soldiers come, the king sends them to check on the spies. They knock on the door, they tell her what's going on, and she probably says something like this. Well, how much is that information worth to you? Right? How much are you going to pay me to tell you about that? Or maybe she took it a step further. She says, I will hand deliver these men to you. I will take you to them for the right price. Isn't that what we'd expect to see from a woman like this? And that's what makes the story so amazing. That through her simple act of obedience, through her simple act of trust, she risked everything and it became everything for her. See, God does something unexpected in her story. Through her act of obedience, he loves her and cares for her, gives her a husband and a child. And through that child would come the Messiah. You see, we have a God who does unexpected things. We have a God who doesn't meet our expectations, but always exceeds them. And I think if you're like me, you probably read stories like this and and you find yourself in them a little bit. And maybe that's the reason you haven't really done what God wants you to do in your life. You have this expectation about how God should function. You look at yourself and you say, well, I don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I don't go to church enough. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't speak as well as I should. So I'm just going to kind of sit back 
and not do what God wants me to do, not act in obedience because I'm not fit. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. But we see something amazing in the story, don't we? We see a lady who has every excuse not to do something for the glory of God. But it's this simple act of obedience that changes her life and changes our life. So as we dive into this new sermon series, here's my hope for you, is that this Christmas season, as we march towards the manger, that you let this same God do something unexpected in your life.